Today's scripture reading is Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be the judge over you? And Jesus said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possession. When he told them a parable, the land of a rich man produced produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is. With those who stored up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So just recently I was reading a a fascinating book about a race that happened close to 100 years ago. The the name of the book is uh, One Summer, America 1927. It was written by Bill Bryson. If you are are looking for some reading and a way to pass the time while you're cooped up during the coronavirus outbreak, then then I'm going to recommend this book to you. It's a fascinating book. Uh, It's a, a book that tells the story of the race to be the first team to fly an airplane from New York City to Paris back in the 1920s. And of course, we we know how that story ends, right? We know who won that race. In 1927, Charles Lindbergh flew the spirit of St. Louis across the Atlantic Ocean and and flew his way right into the history books. Everybody knows the name Charles Lindbergh. We remember the, the story of Charles Lindbergh. What we don't remember, what many people may not know, is that Charles Lindbergh actually was never supposed to win that race. The The person who was supposed to win that race was a man by the name of René Fonck. So in 1926, all of the experts agreed that the person who was most likely to complete that trip from, from New York to Paris was a French aviator by the name of René Fonck. René Fonck was considered by many people to be the greatest pilot in all the world. René Fonck was a, a French fighter pilot during the First World War. René Fonck survived being a fighter pilot in the First World War, and that alone was, was quite an accomplishment. You know, we forget just how dangerous airplanes were back in those days. Airplanes had only been invented just a, a few a few years earlier, and they were still rickety and dangerous contraptions, even when nobody was shooting at you. And and so during the the height of the First World War, the average life expectancy of a fighter pilot was just eight days. Most fighter pilots barely lived more than a week during that war. But Rene Fonck defied the odds. Rene Fonck flew successful mission after successful mission for two years. He went up into the air and came down over and over and 
and over again. He, he scored something like a, a hundred, a hundred enemies shot down from the air, which was a record that still stands for fighter pilots and aces to, to this day. Uh, uh, Rene Fonk had this incredible eyesight. He had this almost superhuman ability to spot enemy planes long before they spotted him. And maybe the most amazing and impressive thing about Rene Fonk's record flying in the First World War is that in all of those missions that he flew over the course of two years, only one enemy bullet ever struck his plane. He only got hit just the one time. Well, after the war was over, René Fonck was one of the most famous celebrities in all of France. He was elected to the French Parliament, but René Fonck didn't find serving in the French Parliament all that exciting. He wanted adventure. He wanted a reason to get back into the sky again. And so when he heard that a businessman was offering a huge reward to anybody who could fly a plane from New York City to Paris, he decided that he was going to join the race. And so René Funk joined the team that already was considered by most people to be the front runners in building the plane that was going to cross the Atlantic. The lead engineer on René Funk's team was a man by the name of Igor Sikorsky. Igor Sikorsky was probably the greatest aircraft engineer in the world at that time. He was light years ahead of anyone else when it came to designing aircrafts. He pioneered designs and devices that are still used on airplanes and, and helicopters to this day. When he joined the team, Igor, <coughs> excuse me. When he joined the team, Igor Sikorsky said that his plan was to build the greatest airplane that had ever been constructed. He compared the plane he was going to build to an, an albatross. He said, "I want to build a plane that has got a powerful body and massive wings. I want to build an airplane that will soar across the ocean the way that an albatross does." And so he constructed this sleek and futuristic-looking airplane. This plane was constructed entirely of of shiny silver metal. He gave his airplane three massive engines, and Rene Funk designed this plane to climb higher and fly farther than any other plane that had ever been built. As, as Rene Fonk and, and Igor Sikorsky were building their plane, they were on the front pages of the New York newspapers day after day, week after week. They and their airplane were the biggest story that were happening in all of New York City and some days in, in all of America. When the plane was finally constructed, the mayor of New York City himself came out to the airfield to, to christen the plane, and he gave this massive plane, this futuristic-looking plane, this powerful plane. He gave this plane the name, the New York to Paris. All of the experts agreed that this plane couldn't possibly fail to reach the city of Paris. All of the experts agreed that Rene Fonk was going to easily win this race with hundreds, maybe thousands of miles to spare. How, how could they miss? They had the greatest pilot in the world flying the greatest plane ever built, designed by the greatest aircraft engineer who had ever lived. How could they possibly lose? Here's, here's how they lost. So in the days leading up to their attempt, Rene Fonk kept thinking of things that he wanted to bring with him on his journey. He went to the plane over and over again and kept adding cargo and kept adding features to this plane. He decided that he didn't want to just win the race. Rene Fonk wanted to win this race in style, and so he brought an interior decorator to the plane, and he had the interior decorator install a, a Spanish leather sofa and matching chairs in the cabin of the plane. He had the, the cockpit of the plane finished in luxurious mahogany. He had a dining room complete 
with a table and chairs installed in the plane. He had a bedroom complete with a hide-a-bed installed in the plane. He had a kitchen installed in the airplane. And then he started filling the cupboards with all of this food. He filled the cupboards with, with turkey and duck and terrapin and clam chowder. And then he started cramming every inch that wasn't already filled with bottles of wine and bottles of champagne as if somehow they weren't going to have wine and champagne when he got to France. He filled every possible inch of that, that airplane with, with presents and gifts and souvenirs for, for dignitaries and admirers. He crammed that plane so full of stuff that when the day for their attempt finally came, the, the plane weighed in at a massive 28,000 pounds. It weighed so much that Igor Sikorsky had to add extra wheels to the airplane just to support all of that weight. But Rene Funk was confident that he would be able to get this, this plane off the ground. And so when the day of the attempt came, people came pouring out of New York City to watch this, this historic journey take off. Hundreds of cars and thousands of people came out to the airfield and they lined the sides of the runway. And Rene Funk climbed into the cockpit of the plane and he waved at, at the cheering crowds. And then he got in and he started up those three massive engines and he started powering his way down the runway. And as he was picking up speed, something happened. The plane hit a bump and suddenly one of the wheels went flying off in this direction. And then they hit another bump and another wheel went flying off in that direction. And then they hit another bump and the tail bounced and hit the ground and one of the rudders broke and started dragging on the ground. Rene Fonk knew that he was in trouble, but he also knew that he didn't have any options. There were no brakes on airplanes in those days. He didn't have any way to stop. And he knew that if he turned to either side, his airplane was going to go plowing through the hundreds of cars and thousands of people who were lined up on either side of the runway. So Rene Fonk did the only thing that he could do. He just kept feeding the engine's power, hoping that somehow he was going to be able to lift off before he ran out of runway. He did not lift off before he ran out of runway. The airplane never left the ground, not even an inch. When it reached the end of the runway, when it reached the end of the airfield, that mighty plane went tumbling off a 28-foot cliff, and the crowd watched for a moment in stunned silence, and then suddenly a huge fireball exploded 50 feet in the air. Now, somehow, somehow, miraculously, Rene Fonk was able to walk away uninjured. His invincible streak continued, but that was the end of his dream of flying across the Atlantic. He never joined another team, and history forgot the name and the story of Rene Fonk. Seven months later, Charles Lindbergh took off from that very same airfield in a very different kind of a plane. The spirit of St. Louis was the opposite of the New York to Paris in almost every way. Charles Lindbergh had designed his plane to be as light as it possibly could be. Instead of giving it three massive engines, he only gave his plane one engine. The, the spirit of St. Louis was constructed mostly of fabric and plywood. Charles Lindbergh didn't allow the engineers to even install a radio on the plane to keep the weight down. Charles Winberg didn't sit in a Spanish leather sofa. Instead, he sat in a, a wicker chair that was purposely designed to be uncomfortable so it would keep him awake as he was flying across the Atlantic. Charles Lindbergh even trimmed the tops and the bottoms off of his navigational charts in order to shave every possible ounce of weight that he could off of that plane. This plane was sparse and it was humble and it was stripped to his bones. He didn't, he didn't carry an ounce more than was absolutely necessary, but when he took off 
Charles Lindbergh didn't touch down again until he reached the city of Paris. Charles Lindbergh kept his plane as light as possible, took only what was necessary, and he reached his destination. René Fonck loaded his plane with everything he thought that he could conceivably need, and he never even left the ground. And there is a lesson in that for us, right? There is a lesson in that for us in this moment of of greed and fear and hoarding. We're living in a moment when so many people are, are in René Fonck mode. And we're living in a moment when so many people are cramming their cargo holds and their basements and their closets and their attics full of toilet paper and, and hand sanitizer. And we know how this happens, right? We know how this starts. This is, this is people operating from a place of greed and fear. What happened was one day somebody went to the grocery store and, and as they were walking down the aisles, somebody, somebody had the thought, you know, it sounds like this social distancing thing might, might last a while. I better pick up an extra package of toilet toilet paper. And then somebody else saw a guy walking to the front of the church with a cart that seemed to have an awful lot of toilet paper in it. And that person said, well, I wonder, I wonder what that guy knows that I don't know. I better go and get three packages of toilet paper. And then other people saw two people walking to the front of the store with their, their shopping carts filled with toilet paper. And they said, oh no, there's a run on toilet paper. I better go and buy all of the toilet paper I possibly can before the store runs out completely. And suddenly you have people brawling in the the aisles over the Charmin and suddenly you have senior citizens weeping because they are out of toilet paper and the store is out of toilet paper too. We are living in a moment when so many people, so many people are in Rene Fonk mode. So many people are acting from a place of, of greed and fear and all of this hoarding, Jesus tells us, all of this hoarding is hazardous to our spiritual health. So in today's gospel reading, in this reading that that Danny read so well just a moment ago, Jesus tells a story. He tells a parable. Jesus said, once upon a time, there was a, a farmer. And this farmer had a really good year. The rain was just right, and the sun was just right. And when it came time for the harvest, this farmer went out into his field, and he looked over in his fields, and he saw that he had more crops than he had ever grown before. This farmer looked out into his fields, and he saw that he had grown more crops than he could possibly even store in his barn. And so the farmer said to himself, what am I going to do with all of my crops? And then he had an idea. He said, I know what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to tear down my barn and I'm going to build an even bigger barn. I'm going to build a massive barn. I'm going to build an enormous barn. I'm going to build the biggest barn that anybody has ever seen. And then I'm going to fill it to the rafters with all of this food, with all of these crops, with all of this stuff. And then when all of that work is done, I'm going to say to my soul, soul, take a load off. You can take it easy for a while. You have enough food stored up to last you for years. You don't have to work again for years. You might never have to work again. So relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And the man got ready for bed that night with a smile on his face. But God looked down from heaven, and God saw what was in the man's heart. And God saw the greed and God saw the fear and God saw the way in which this man was hoarding resources. And God said to the man, you fool, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. And then all of this stuff, all of the plans that you have made, your own soul, where will all of these things be? 
And that's where Jesus leaves the story. We don't actually get an ending to the story. We don't know what happens to to the farmer. We don't know if he received the message, heard the words from God. We don't know if maybe like Ebenezer Scrooge, he had a chance to repent after being given a glimpse of his own future. We don't know if maybe he was able to change his ways before it was too late. We don't know what happened to the farmer. And it's okay that we don't know what happened to the farmer because that's not really the point of the story. The point of the story, the message of the story is easy enough to see. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. And life Good life, true life, abundant life, the kind of life that is worth giving does not consist in having stuff. It does not consist in hoarding away possessions. It does not consist in keeping for ourselves an abundance of things. As a matter of fact, Jesus is telling us that kind of hoarding, that kind of greed and fear will cut us off from the very people who God would use to save us. Notice how lonely and isolated the man in Jesus' story seems to be. Notice how many times the farmer in the story says the words I and me and my. He talks about my harvest and my crops and my barn and my soul. Never once Never once does he consider any of his neighbors who might be hungry. Never once does he consider maybe giving some of his abundance away. Now, this man's greed and his fear and his hoarding lead to the very worst kind of social isolation, not, not the good kind of social distancing where we keep six feet away from each other so we care for each other and don't get anybody sick. This man's greed and fear and hoarding learn to lead to the, the worst kind of social distancing, the, the kind of social distancing that leaves our neighbors without groceries and toilet paper, the kind of social distancing that destroys neighborhoods and communities and even our own souls. This is not my way, Jesus says. My way is not the way of greed and fear. My way is not the way of hoarding. My way is to trust in God the way the flowers trust in God. My way is to trust in God the way the sparrows trust in God. My way is to travel light and take only what is absolutely necessary. My way is to give generously and to take care of each other today because today might be the only day that we have. All this week I've been wondering what would happen, what would happen if more people, if more of us started walking in that way, started living in the generous way of Jesus? What would happen in the aisles at Meyer and Kroger and Walmart? What would happen in our neighborhoods if we thought less of ourselves and more about caring for each other? What would happen if we walked in the generous way of Jesus? This week we have another chance to find out. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the wisdom that you have revealed to us in Jesus. We give you thanks for the example that he gave us, the way he showed us that it is possible to trust in you and travel light. God, we pray that you would make us more like his disciples who went out on their mission with no bag and no purse, but only a walking stick and the clothes on their backs trusting that you would watch over them. God, where we have hoarded more than we need, help us to release those things. God, where we have cut ourselves off from other people, from our neighbors, we pray that you would build new connections and new relationships. God, we pray that you would give us the wisdom to watch over one another, that we might reach our destination together. In Jesus we pray. Amen.